2: we <laughs> the big
1: Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show It's good to be back on the air We were off last week I was away with the wife for the weekend But it's good to be back here on the air we got a great show for everybody tonight John Schaefer from Demons and Wizards And Ice Earth is on tonight's show As well as John DeLeon from Attila We had Vinny on the show about a year or so ago Right before he passed away uh, So if we could talk to John And find out more that, about the band Than we could have with Vinny I'm looking forward to that interview Right there, Metal Church with a ton of bricks I tell you, if you can't have David Wayne in the band I'm glad at least Mike Howe was back in there I was never really a big fan of the Ronnie Monroe stuff, I mean Kurt is a great songwriter and the songs are good But the vibe just wasn't there for me So I'm kind of glad that Mike Howe has been back With him now for the last two records And Kurt has said if you know, Mike didn't do it He probably wouldn't have kept Metal Church going So I'm glad that that's still happening And they're still out there making music Alright, let's jump right back into it TT, Quick, Front Burner <laughs> Sacrilege off the court of the insane, that's the prophet, my good buddy Jeff Rowland will be on the show, I think in two weeks, on the 25th we have Jeff on here, so uh, stick around for that one, we still got tonight's guest coming up, John calling in at about 15 minutes, and then in the second half of the show, John Schaefer from Ice, Earth, and Demons and Wizards, who are hitting the road for the first time here in North America, so if you're a fan, you're going to love that one. All right, Soldier, another great band from the new wave of British heavy metal. Richard Frost, I believe, will be on the show probably sometime in September. We're just waiting for the record to come out. They got a brand new one dropping real soon. Let's get on a song off that record for everybody, and then they will jump into uh, some Black Sheep. And we should have John on the line right after that. But right now, brand new Soldier, Storm Rider. <laughs> And That first Black Sheep record was great Trouble in the Streets That was really bass He's, uh, you know, He was like the main guy in that band But this sound featured Paul Gilbert on guitar And quite a few people in and out of this band over the years They only had one other record that came out uh, Somewhere in the 90s I think it was an EP I believe James Kotak uh, He used to be with the Scorpions uh, And Kingdom Come played on drums in that one uh, But Randy Castillo also played in the band And quite a few other people came in and out Uh, I wish they had done more back in the day with this lineup, because it was really solid, but as you all know, Paul Gilbert went on to do other things, and who knows what happened to the band right after that. All right, we're going to wait. John should be calling in in about five minutes, Uh, so maybe we'll just wait a little bit. We'll play one more tune. Uh, Years ago, maybe eight or nine years ago... I played a song by Alice in Chains, you know, and it was before they became the Alice in Chains that were famous when they were like uh, an alternative new metal grunge or whatever you call that shitty kind of music that they play that I'm into. They started out as a, as a pretty decent hard rock band called Alice with the letter N and Chains. And I had that demo tape. It came out around 86 or 87 and it was pretty good. It was a three or four song demo. If I remember, I had played a song on it. We put it up on the demolition segment. I got a takedown notice, I guess, Uh, By the band's management So uh, we kind of took it down But I dug that demo tape up again So let's get on a track off of that And show you what Alice in Chains might have been If they didn't go the direction they went in Uh, This is called Lip Lock Rock just when you thought Jeff Tate was the only guy that could bring saxophone to rock and heavy metal, there you go, lip lock rock. All right, I believe we got John on the line, let's connect him, let's get this interview going, and then we'll play some Attila right after that when we're done. John, this is Mike, you're on the air, how are you? What's up, Mike? How you doing, buddy, how are you? Good, how's everything going? Hey, I'm doing great, I'm talking to you on a Sunday afternoon, how bad can life be?
3: Oh uh, not bad, man. It's sunny out. You know, we're still uh, we're still above ground.
1: <laughs> That's all that matters, right? That's all that matters these days. As we get older. Well, listen, John. I've been a big fan of your band for a very long time, and I was thrilled, you know, when Heaven and Hell decided to re-release that record because, you know, it was out of print for many years. People couldn't find it, and they did a great job on putting it out.
3: Uh, he definitely did. I mean I was I was surprised. I only found out about it about two months ago. Oh wow. I had I, I had no idea. You know, I've I've been out of it for so long, you know, I I had no idea.
1: Wow. Yeah, we uh we had Vinny on the show right before he passed away about a year or so ago and uh he was a little involved in this, and I'm happy because I remember getting your first demo tape back in around 84, probably, maybe 85. It came out, and being such a fan of the band and seeing you guys around the New York area back in the day. I mean, you know, how did the whole thing come about with Attila? Uh,
3: I, I, I played, I tried to get bands off the ground, you know, uh, in my teens, late teens or whatnot. I played with some guys in this, in Brooklyn, uh, but it never went nowhere, you know. I did that for a couple of years, maybe played a gig here and there. And then, you know, I, I was getting, I became 20 years old, 21 years old. I said, I got I to gotta really, you know, grow, put my head to the, to the grindstone. <clears throat> and I, I got together with guys I knew. Uh, we started recording. And they eventually left. Those two of the guys ended up being in Hitman, uh, Mike and Jimmy, were in that band Hitman. Yeah. You know, so they left. And when they left, uh, honestly, it kind of ticked me off because I thought we had we had a good thing going. But, you know, they they wanted to go in a different direction. You know, we, we still remained friends, but you know, uh kind of lit a fire under me. I had to I had to get the band back together. So uh ironically, Jimmy uh introduced me to Vinny, you know, and then uh he knew of a drummer, uh when we when we met A T, uh Anthony, he was a kid, man. He was probably like 16, 17 years old. You know? Wow. And uh, I I uh, went to see him play, I guess I somewhere, I don't remember and I said, Can you play double bass? And he did he did his thing and I'm like, You wanna play? And he's like, Yeah, I'm like you're in and then you know we just started rehearsing, <laughs> and within within uh, this is probably eighty three, and we put uh, with with the recordings from with Jimmy and Mike, they had ended up on a uh, compilation album called Metal Over America. I don't know
1: if you're familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. So yeah, so, is right. on there, and yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, I think a band called Whiplash or something.
1: Takashi was on there if I remember Trace. A lot, a lot of great bands coming up at that time were on there.
3: So at at the time, you know, uh, you know, we we were getting the you know the buzz from England, you know, like Venom and those bands that had, had come out like a year or so earlier, you know. So there, there was a there was an underground thing going, and we felt that the, at least I felt there was uh, you know a market or something that we, we could do something. So anyway, that thing being said, uh, I got together with Vinny and, and Anthony, A.T., and uh, we started rehearsing, and within like about three four months, we started playing out and within a year we recorded those demos started playing, and, and, and got some attention and finally got a, a record deal. Not finally, but actually got it pretty quick, probably within a year, year and a half.
1: Yeah, that, that was pretty good because you think 83 metal was just starting to take off. I mean, bands like Metallica Slayer had to debut records out. It was just starting to catch on and it was going to become big. I mean, right from the get go, were you set on being a three piece band?
3: Oh uh, no. When, when Jimmy and Mike were in the band, uh, we planned on it being a five-piece, you know? But then, you know, again, the more the more people you add to the mix, the more issues, you know? <laughs> so so yep. we couldn't find a singer. They ended up finding a singer, you know. the best of luck to them. But, you know, once I found Vinny, he could sing and play bass, and we had a drama, I'm like, let's do this. I played in trios in the past, and it was less guys, less headaches.
1: Yeah. That, that's the way it seems to always be, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, too many voices, yeah, You know, know, too many chefs...
3: Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely spoil it. When we were talking about metal just coming out, I, I had been a, a fan uh, in rock and roll since, you know, junior high. I I played in bands in, in high school, and uh, we were hard rock. Metal, the only metal real band was, like, Sabbath, maybe, you know, back in the mid-'70s, you know. And then uh, yeah. then priest came along, but no one knew about them. You know, we were priest fans in 77, 78, you know, uh, Sad Wings of Destiny, but no one no one knew about them, you know. And, and going back... uh they only really cemented the image with like hellbent for leather. You know, before, before that, they were finding their way. True. Absolutely.
1: You know, and, you know when you think about it, when the band did get started around '83, you know, there was no even talk at that point in time about bands making it big in this scene. You know, who would have thought that metal would have turned like a global thing and, and it would have been arenas at that point. You really didn't think that could have happened to this type of music.
3: Uh, no, but but uh, honestly, I had seen uh, Judas Priest, probably my biggest influence. I'd probably seen them for the first time in 1977 when they first came over. Uh, I seen him open a show for Speed Speedwagon, and I didn't even know who they were, you know. But I went to the show uh, at the Palladium, in New York City. Came back and ne- you know the next day, see my friends. I told them I said, man, you got to see this band. They were wild. They were crazy, you know. So little by little, we started getting you know more information about them, and like. <clears throat> Uh, Priest started headlining like probably in 78, you know, and you, I, I know me and my friends could see that it was going to be, at least those guys were going to be big. I, I, I felt that it was going to explode.
1: For Priest, you know, Priest, Priest also had a little bit of commercial sound in them too. I mean, not saying that they were a pop band, but they were more radio accessible. You guys were much heavier and much harder than what was going on at the time.
3: Uh yeah, but uh, but still, I I would think you know I mean th- this is my silly opinion. Uh, I think I think I melded to describe it like a priest with like a song format of like Kiss because Kiss had the short you know songs that hit you and then and then you know were gone. You know I I, I knew people had short attention spans, so I tried I tried to yeah. make, you know our songs have at least have choruses that you can remember because there's a lot of heavy stuff out there as you know, but when it's over you don't remember it. True. You know, so very true. That's that out that that a lot of music. You know, I tried, I tried to make it accessible to some degree.
1: You definitely did. And you know, I remember when we had Vinny, we talked to Vinny, he wasn't happy about doing schools out. Was that a choice that you guys made to put that on the album?
3: Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick thing about Vinny. I hadn't talked to him. The band broke up in 88. Uh, AT and Anthony and uh, Vinny went out to California, right? Uh, within a year they were back. You know, I, what happened out there, I don't know. I, uh, I hung out with Anthony a couple times after that. I never talked to him again. He called me sometime in the mid-90s and I talked to him for a little bit. I believe he was in Florida and then I never talked to him again. I, I didn't know he passed away until two months ago. I I, I had no idea. You know, but anyway, the yeah, get back that. We went, to the studio upstate New York record with Carl Kennedy. Uh, we were originally going to play, uh, uh, Saturday nights for right for fighting by Elton john you know we uh okay you know, we we had a pretty a pretty metal version of that, and then I don't know, I can't remember, but I don't know what for what reason we ended up doing schools out I, I have no idea why <laughs>
1: See, you know, you wanted did
3: work, we, on this record. we wanted excuse me we wanted to we wanted to put a cover song on the record because we thought that a familiar song you know somewhere radio stations might pick up on it, hey, let's play this. And maybe, you know, maybe turn them on to a tiller. That, 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 that was our hope.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good thought process, you know, trying to get promotion and get it in and out there. But you guys, yeah, yeah. from the very beginning of the band, were you serious about it? Like, as far as like, you know, because a lot of bands, they're just focused on the band, the music, writing music, playing live. They don't think about like the promotional part of it, you know, the management part of it, The you know, all that stuff, the business end of it. Were you guys focused on both of it at the time to try to make it happen on both ends?
3: I, I was, uh, you know, I... I I definitely could say I was. You know, those guys came, you know, were along. They were part of the band, but I did the majority of the work. And, you know, uh, again, the, the, what led to the record deal, our demo, I actually handed it to Fingers from BAB, right? Because he used to drive yeah. around in a van, like, doing all the promotions. So, And I'd see him on the road because I, I, I was a construction worker, so I was all over the island. And I'd see him on the road at, a, like, a stoplight, and I'd always, Hey, you, Fingers! Where's the Attila tape? And I swear to God, I I bust his job. <laughs> and he, it's right here. He had it, like on the dashboard. You know, whether whether wow. he played it or not, I don't know. But he had it. And he actually hooked us up with the record company that we
1: signed with. You know. If if I remember, that was Shattered Records back in the day.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, and you know, he signed a uh, he signed a bunch of other bands. We were the first band he signed. He also signed Paul Deano after he was booted out of Iron Maiden. Uh, and he signed a bunch of other bands that were pretty heavy, but I, I, really don't, I think he just squandered money away. I don't know. He didn't, you know, we felt, you know, we got to a point, and maybe it was my fault, but once we had a record deal, not that I was thinking we were going to be rich and famous, but I felt that the record company would do more to get us out there, to get us to the next level, and it really didn't happen, you know what I mean? That was, that was the Yeah,
1: back it. then, people don't realize that that bands relied on the record companies back then to further their career along, to help them out. I mean, I know he had Red Forest, I think, on that label. I think Rated X on that label back in the day. So he had quite a few bands that, you know, things were happening for, but I guess he just didn't do the behind-the-scenes work to get you guys going in the right direction. No, and
3: the guy, he worked, the guy who owned the company, this guy, Dave, he used to work for Clive Davis from Outerstock. You know, so he was familiar oh. with the record business, you know, and, and again, like, you know, we couldn't, there was no internet, you know that, you know, I couldn't, yeah. I mean, we, around Long Island, you know, we could get shows, you know, I couldn't book a show in, in Ohio. Fortunately, through, through the record company, we did hook up with some guy that was doing some promotion, and we played some gigs in Hammerjacks in uh, Hammer Jackson, Maryland, we played in Virginia, we played in PA, we played in Ohio, but that was about it. I, you know, I, I didn't have the ability to, you know, book a gig, you know, two states away, you know, so uh, yeah. that's, that's kind of where, you know, it, it, we had a, a momentum going and then it got to that point and it was like, you know, they didn't, they didn't go to the next step,
1: you know? Yeah. People don't, a lot of people don't remember the pre-internet world. Bands really had to work. you know, like, and, you know, get out there and glad hand and move around and make things happen. I mean, we had a great scene here in New York. I mean, between Long Island, New York, New Jersey, we had an amazing scene, the clubs, you know, from the Moors to up and down, you know, the coast. It was incredible. And so was that enough to keep the band active at the time, or you really felt you had to branch out right away and start hitting up all the other states?
3: Uh, at the time, okay, uh, okay we, I came a little bit after the years of, like, Twisted Sister. You know? I used to go see those guys in, in the clubs, you know, and they would, they would pack in 2,000 people at Hammerheads. You know, it was, it was insanity. But, I mean, and it was bands, you know, bands around Long Island, Jersey, Connecticut, the Tri-State area, that made a living playing bars, you know? So when we came onto the scene, so to speak, that, that scene had been it was dying out. So there were still places to play, but you really couldn't make a living, you know what I mean? So so we, we we milked it or whatever, played as much as we could, and then you know, the scene even that scene, which was smaller, was starting to change. It was also starting to like waver. So we had to get gigs elsewhere, you know, to sustain it.
1: No, absolutely. I completely understand it. And I just feel like you guys are starting to craft like such a great image. You know the way you guys looked. You know the name of the band, the songs, everything like was in place for you guys. Like it says, I guess when the record label couldn't come through on their end or what you expected from them, I guess things started to falter. But was it right after Rolling Thunder that things kind of just fell apart for them? No, band? no. It, it was
3: right right after the, the album came out, probably in the fall, uh, late summer of '86. Uh, yeah, probably that. And then and then uh. You know, we had some buzz. You know, we played this and that, and then it was like a uh, kind of like the gigs became few and far between. You know, we played, but it was like you know a little bit, you know, less and less. And then we did, we did, we shot a uh, you know a lip sync video at the Tag Club in, in New York City. Uh, and then time it came around, the year came around again, and we wanted to record a second record because we didn't we didn't do enough for the first. And so we demoed a second record, uh, excuse me, songs for a second record. We presented it to the record company, and he felt that they didn't have the energy that the, the first album had. And I felt, as well as the band, felt that it was the best stuff we ever did. And then, you know, with no with no place to go, you know, <laughs> we were at a dead
1: end, you know. Yeah. Uh, musically, the record, you know, the second, what the second record would have been, was it a, was it a follow up to Rolling Thunder, or were you taking the yeah, band it was a, it in a was little a, it different was direction? A, it
3: was a continuation, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, we we brought uh, nuclear nuclear devastation upon the world. We were going to continue. Oh uh, man, and, is, is there
1: any chance is... that this could be? I'm sorry. We got to get this released. We got to get this album released. We got to get
3: this album uh, well, I've, I've I've been talking to Jeremy about it. We got to see. Uh, unfortunately, and I told him, uh, I'm sorry that Vinny's gone. You know, and any differences we may have had in the past. We would have worked it out. I would have called him up by now with all this going on, but he's not here, you know. And I told Jeremy that I said, "I don't have a band." I said, "What? Uh, you know, <laughs> it is what it is, you know." But we were talking about it, so who knows? I can't say either way at this point.
1: Oh, I would love to hear that stuff. It's incredible. I was, mean, you know, i always me. That. I think it was Interceptor. And uh, I think Strike Strike to Kill were the only two songs that didn't make it on the record from the demo days. I know they were on the reissue that came out, but back right. then those two songs never made it to record. I mean, I think it was on Middle of America. It was Interceptor. Yes, yes. But those two songs never made like a, an official official record, and that bothered me because they were great songs.
3: <laughs>
1: I, I just I just felt at
3: the time, okay, we had done it. You know, there was demo. This was on our record. Now let's do more. Let's do new stuff. Let's just keep going. You know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, You know, I had, I had, you know, the, the majority of the concept, and, of course, Vinny and, and Anthony kicked in, uh, you know, the, Anthony came up with the album cover idea, uh, among, you know, among other things, but, you know, I mean, they were on board with the whole image, uh, you know, through my years of playing heavy, or listening, playing heavy metal, and watching, you know, sci-fi movies, you know, that, that's how the whole idea was uh, born.
1: Yeah. So, John, when did the whole thing come to an end, finally? When did the bands just say, you know what, this is it, we can't go any further and call it a day? Was it around 87?
3: 88, uh, eight, 88. 88, Uh me, 88, me, honestly, right. me and Anthony went out to California, right, to on vacation, and to check it out. And we knew some people out there that played in bands. So we checked out the scene, and the scene out there was, because, again, in New York, it was it was really going downhill. There was really not much left. Uh, maybe maybe yeah. for some people there was, but for us it there really wasn't. So we were going out there and checking out, and uh, we weren't sure what Vinny was doing, if he was on board or not. We didn't know. So me and Anthony were planning on going out there. We actually had a singer out there. Uh, we went out there, checked the scene out, and it was a bunch of posers. It was it was just not not anything conducive to conducting a band in my eyes. And you know, as time goes on, you know, I gotta I gotta pay the rent. You know, I I always worked. You know, I was always I always worked construction. So uh, you know, by this time I'm twenty five years old. You know. I got I gotta pay car insurance, I gotta pay my bills, you know. So i I decided not I decided not to go. And uh and and that was it, pretty much. Yeah,
1: you know, hand and, metal was yeah, it. I I, I, uh, yeah,
3: yeah, I I wish I could tell you, you know, we all entered rehab and you know
1: <laughs> and one of those M T V stories.
3: But that that it did not happen that way, man.
1: <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen like that for most bands. It happens just the way you said it happens. You know, they just felt like they hit a wall, things didn't go nowhere, and it was like just it wasn't conducted to keeping it going. And a lot of bands just packed it in for the same reason that you did. I mean, it just wasn't happening. They couldn't make it happen. It's, but it's a shame when, it, to me, like when it's a band like Attila, Attila had so much going on. The music was there, the image was there, and you know, now that I know you had like the second record recorded, you know, and I'm dying to hear what it would have sounded like. You know. It's just a matter. Is it a matter of luck or just being in the right place at the right time when it comes to being in a band?
3: It's a combination. It's a combination of being. Uh, what do they say it is? Uh, uh, opportunity. Uh, you have to be prepared. Preparedness meets opportunity. You know. So you know, Ozzy shows up at your door. You know, I need a good new guitar player. If you haven't been practicing for the last ten years, you're not going to make the gig. You know.
2: Yeah. So it, it, And
3: it's it's talent. It's uh you know hard work. And it's a little bit of luck. You know, I've seen back in the day, when I was in high school, I used to go to concerts like once a week. I used to go to the, into the city, the Palladium. I've seen every, every big band that I ever wanted to see. And these, a lot of these bands were phenomenal. You know, uh, I could rattle off the names forever. But they didn't make it, you know. A band like Angel were phenomenal, you know. Uh, oh. These guys, yep. these guys were, were bona fide rock stars, you know. They didn't make it. And I was like, what the hell is going on, you know. A band like Stars we a great band. seen them several times. They were great. Great music. They didn't make it. You know, so th- th- there's no rhyme or reason.
1: No, absolutely. And the funny thing is, like, today, these bands, when you talk to other bands, like, oh, Stars are such a big influence. Or Angel. If Was it wasn't for Angel, and, like, where were you back in the day when he, <laughs> he needed to right, exactly, you to be there? Exactly. Know, but no, <laughs> the phrase, you know, Punky and, and Frank got Angel going again today. And the new record, that's coming, it sounds amazing. I mean, these guys have uh, you, you know but without without without
3: Greg there's no Ranger without Geoffrey. Come on.
1: Come on. I I I agree. I I agree, but you know, people just think <laughs> of Punky and and, and and Frank that's all they care about. I agree Greg was a major major part of that band. Yeah, but it, the problem
3: probably uh, yeah, I don't know. This is all all fucking, yeah, you know, interjection here. Uh Jufriya, I mean he's he's still friends with them guys, but probably could care less cuz he's fucking a
1: multimillionaire. You know, he made his fortune yeah, the on machine uh, but... machines. What's that? <laughs> I know. Yeah. The money, he don't need the money anymore. So he's all right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, It's funny because I love, love music to this, to this day. I play my guitar almost every day, uh, but life changes, man. And you go on to other things. And especially if you don't have to rely on it for a living, you know, uh, I, over the years, I've met a lot of other people that played in, different bands and some people played on like successful records I mean really successful records but they didn't own any other publishing so they never made no money you know
1: yeah, people don't realize back in the 70s and 80s the music business was a cruel business especially for the bands none of them really profited from it I mean it was like one in a million shots that you know really take yeah. control of everything the record companies controlled everything
3: people people ask you know I, I've told them about you know this what I've done whatever and, and I, I said, and I was doing this interview with you tonight. And people were like, are you getting any royalties? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I said, oh, <laughs> all the record, I had to explain to him how that works. I said, you know, for all the royalties that Jimmy Page has gotten, you know, every time his songs have been played, they don't always get picked up by, by the publishing companies. So for the gazillion dollars he's made, he should have made two, two gazillion. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and to, be, to make a lot of money. I said, when your your song gets played on the radio, what, what what does the radio station pay? Ten cents? Something like that?
1: Yeah, it's pennies. It's pennies.
3: Yeah, right. It's, it's it's roughly ten cents. I, I don't know the exact figure. But so figure you got to hear hear your song on the radio a whole lot of times to make a million dollars. You know. But everyone thinks that you got a record out. You're freaking
1: in a Molly Crow. You know. True. Yeah, it's pennies, and you got to split that nine ways sometimes. <laughs> That's yeah, bar, yeah exactly. You,
3: and then before you even get that, you got to pay the record company back for all the money they put out for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Peter Frampton put something online about a year or so ago, saying, "This is what, this is the check I got this year for like my music being played because then I have like Spotify, now with the streamer service. I think it was like $187. That's Peter Frampton, <laughs> some of the biggest hits in the '70s made $187. <laughs> <They go>. $187 <laughs> You know, come on. I mean, you know, what chance does anybody else have to make the money here when somebody like that can't even make money? It's no. a different business now, a whole different model. But, but now, now these bands, uh, they make the money. It was the other way around. They used to go on tour to support
3: an album. Now it's the other way around. They go on tour to make money. Yeah. 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 It's, it's merchandise and touring if you can't do that. Yeah, the price of the tickets are freaking $200. It's crazy. I used to, I seen Van Halen at the Palladium for like 10 bucks.
1: I don't you know,
3: know. Maybe maybe twelve I
1: mean dollars. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, those I mean, are the, you know. The, those are the days a ticketmaster charged you a dollar fifty for a fee. Today it's forty dollars.
3: Even even before that, man, I remember their fee was like I think sixty cents. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah. There, there used to be a department <laughs> store in my town called A and S, and upstairs there was a ticket yeah. master. You go up there, you get the, you pay like seven dollars to go see Kiss. And then you have to give them like sixty cents. It was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I I remember those days. We're the same age. I remember. I believe me. I remember those days. You go to Madison Square Garden and eight dollars to see a show. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Incredible. I think, oh, no no, no yeah. lie, honestly. Uh, the, honestly, that time, like I was telling you, the time I saw Judas Priest, they they played yeah. on the bill. It was Judas Priest. It was nineteen seventy-seven. Judas Priest stars. And Ario Speedway. I went to see I went to see stars specifically. The ticket yeah. price was three dollars.
1: Damn, that was a ticket. That that's it co- incredible. It cost me three bucks. Yeah, amazing, amazing. It, co- it cost you three dollars to take the bus to New York City today. Oh yeah, yeah. Forget about it. To Get to the show. <laughs> that's <laughs> unbelievable. That's how it was back then, you know. You know, and bands made money. You know, people make money. So go figure. But now now
3: it's unfortunately, with, with the internet, I mean these young bands, you know, they get their stuff out of the internet and then they, they can
1: somehow book a tour,
3: you know? I don't I don't know how to yeah.
1: do it. I really don't. You, neither do I. I. I ask the same question all the time. It's I mean, the internet was great for bands because, you know, it really let them take control of everything and get it out there, but it's just jam packed with bands today too. It's very hard to even find What's going on there. There's just so much It's so overwhelming You know Back in the day When you guys were around You had to put up Flies on telephone poles Go around to other shows yes. Let other people know And my band's playing Next week at Lamar Come and see us My band's playing here Come and see us You know and you know what Sometimes more people Came out that way Than they do today With the internet Yeah
3: yeah A lot of people A lot of people Don't go out To see live music You know
1: They don't, just don't do it Nah Yeah it's getting you harder remember, You remember
3: Leo. Lamar uh, Both Lamars oh. The one in Brooklyn And the one in Queens
1: I, I lived in that place. I lived in the one in, in Queens, too. They had the one in Long Island for a little while, Far East, but that didn't last too long. Was that was that in Comac? <sighs> oh, man. You really got me now. Uh,
3: okay.
1: Cause I'm we trying played, to remember. We,
3: play, we played that place in Comac. It, it changed a bunch of names uh, names a couple of times. Uh, I, I don't that know. Was it was one of the shopping at, centers.
1: Yeah, it had a, yeah, yeah that did. was it. Yeah, it was in a shopping center. Yeah.
3: Uh, I think we played there a couple of times. We played... We played uh, Queens a couple times. We never played in Brooklyn, though. But probably one of the best places besides Hammerjacks down in Baltimore uh, was Lamore Queens. That place was great. You know, Wasn't that, was wasn't that, like, an old, wasn't that like an old roller rink or something?
1: I, I thought it was a catering hall or something. It was a big place. It was big. It was big. It was big. Side, a it was, yeah. 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 And, it, right and it would a, a,
3: a big, they would bring in a big – they would bring in a pro PA. I mean, they'd bring in a band, you know a PA that they would use for accept, you know, because we we would yeah. play there and we we'd check and we were cordless, you know. So we me and Vinny would walk out by the sound the sound guy, you know, on the floor while while the drummers beating the drums, you know, or doing a sound check and we sounded like frickin' Judas Priest. I mean, we sounded incredible. That place that place yeah. was great. That place was great.
1: It was a great place. were a lot of great places in the city that we went to, and I, and I always loved that. But, yeah, John, going back to when you went out to California, you felt that it wasn't going to work. You know, you, you felt like the scene wasn't for you back there. Did you go into any other bands after Attila or did you just kind of give up a music altogether? No, you know? I,
3: I I, could get... Uh, Anthony came back uh, about a year later. I, I played... I tried to get a band going with him and a friend of mine for a little while, and it didn't happen, so it dissolved. Uh, I kind of put it on the back burner. I got, into, I got back at the motorcycles... Uh, so I did that all pretty much all through the 90s, and then uh, in the late 90s I started. I didn't actually play for a long time, you know, because uh, things yeah. changed. Just life in general had changed. Uh, so then uh, in the late 90s uh, I I picked up my I had I had a bass laying around, so I picked up a bass and I I tried to get something going with with a couple people, but again it it seemed that it was so much more difficult to play with people because and this wasn't even a band that was playing out. You're just playing some songs, and it's for. We had no illusion. At least I had no illusions of being anything but just playing. And yeah. egos and like personalities started coming, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" You know what I mean? It was it was like really ridiculous. It was it was hard to play with people. So about this time, the 2000s come around, like 2002. I, I run into an old friend of mine, this, uh, this guy Larry, went to school with, playing dozens of bands with him back in, back in you know, as we were kids. And he goes, "Hey, you want to?" Uh, do this show, I'm doing some reunions. I'm saying, Yeah man, I'll play bass. We hooked up with a drummer I knew and it was a co- it was a classic rock cover band. It was band- it was called Rain of Fire and we were actually together for about three years. You know? Yeah, that was pretty good. About two th- yeah, from about two thousand and three to two thousand and six. Right around the you know, exact almost exactly three years we were together. And and we we played gigs, played gigs all while, But we were playing like I mean little bars. We were playing for like, you know, hundred people. You know, but again, we had no illusions of being fucking rich and famous. We were just having fun. And, and and the band was pretty good, you know. But again, it, it was like there was no, absolutely no scene to play. You know, you could play some bars, but you were going to, you know, you're going to bring in maybe 200 people tops. Tops. You know, it was nothing, nothing like back in the day. Nothing.
1: Oh, yeah, it'll never be like that. But have you thought yeah. about maybe uh, doing another original band again or get some new music out there on your own?
3: Uh, if, if I would do it, uh, I, you know, I thought about it, especially in this day and age, you could record at home and, and probably come up with a pretty pretty decent sound and record. But uh, Jeremy's spoken about something uh, under the Attila heading, uh, so that that might happen. That might happen. You know, we got, like I was telling you, the songs that we recorded for a second record, we didn't record a whole album. We only recorded like, you know, four or five songs, you know, we demoed for them. So we had songs to for a full record, but we never recorded them. You know, so I, I, obviously I have songs, but I'd have to record them, and i, I have to find a new band. You
1: know, i got to find guys who want to play. You know. the, the songs that were recorded that you did demo, would they be remastered yeah. and released, or would you rather, if you could put a new band together, re-record everything?
3: I would, I would use them. I would use them, because they're good. Uh, I don't think we could recapture that. And uh, again, uh, all differences aside between me and Vinny, uh, he's on them, you know, and he did a good job. You know, he he really did a good job on him. Uh, I I say his performance was on par with the record, the first album, or even better. You know, the songs I thought the songs were like a natural progression. Uh, and you know, again, I I looked ahead, you know, down. The, I wasn't looking ahead down ten albums down the line, but I was looking ahead to the next record. And then from there, well, let's see what we're gonna, you know. But you know, we we hit the wall, and, and then it, it, that was that. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope that you do or you're able to put something together now under the Attila head and, uh, you know, with the new singer, new bass player. I don't know if AT, AT is still available for the drums or you're going to go everybody new, but I hope that you can make it work because I would love to hear the shit live again. And, you know, especially you, the songs you know, that I didn't get a chance to live day.
0: I'm, re-
3: I'm really flattered that, uh, you know, you knew the band, or you were a fan of the band. You know, again, it was something something I did and, like, you know, rarely mentioned it to people. Sometimes I'd mention, yeah, I played in the band, la da But then, like, uh, I I found out about this. Long story short, uh, I went to a party for a family member back on Long Island about maybe about two three months ago, and my uh, cousin's husband is a bit younger than me, and he plays in a punk band. You know, he's been playing in a punk band for years. So his bass player comes up to me at the party and says, "Hey, uh, John, uh, Ken tells me you played Attila," and I look at him because I I never mentioned him. I look at him, and he goes, "The Attila?" I said, "Yeah." And he starts reciting lyrics. And I was like, I was like, wow. I it. I was floored. I was blown away. And I, I, said, I go, how do you know this? He goes, I got the album. I'm like, fantastic, man. Fantastic.
1: And you just said you found out about the re-release two months ago. I mean, were, yeah. were you shocked when yeah. you kind of saw that? I said, hey, what the hell is this? No, exactly. Because, again, I, I, I knew people
3: had posted Attila songs on YouTube. You know, I'd seen them before. I'd actually probably played along to them, you know. Uh so I go I go back after I came home from that party the day or two later, I get on the YouTube uh I click on a teller and I see all this other stuff and I see this thing from the upcoming reissue of all i I'm like, What the hell is this? You know? I look into it and that and guy Jeremy had put together this package, you know, like this these images. I'm like, Where was this guy in nineteen eighty six? you know? So anyway I look I, I <laughs> I, I look him up. He's Heavy Metal, uh, Heaven and Hell Records. I look him up. I email him. I said, "Yeah, this is John Dolan from Matella. I said, "If you want the real story about the band, I think you should contact me." And he did. And he goes, "I've been trying to find you." I'm like, "Where you been?" I said, "Living in Pennsylvania." You know, <laughs> been out of the scene. Yeah. And then he, I just started asking, "What happened?" I go, "How did this come about?" And he started telling me about Vinny. And then, and, and then along uh, on, on his record company website. And it said that that he passed away, and I, and I told him I said, listen, this is all new to me, you know. But it, the funny thing is, I talked the first time I talked to him. We probably talked for about an hour and a half, we, you know, And and since then, we've had like lengthy conversations. He's he's a straight up guy.
1: He is. He's a great guy. You know, it was about five years ago. I was trying to find one of you guys interviewing my show because my show is all about the great bands from the '80s that I grew up with, and I could not find any of you guys anywhere on social media. You know, And on the album, you know, you get A.T. Soldier. Vinny had a, a different name. He didn't use his real name. So it made it a little harder. Then I, I finally found Vinny on the Internet, and we started talking, and I had him on the show, and I hooked him up with Jeremy. And if you know, they re-release the record. And then he found Joe. So it was all good in the end, because this music gets out to a whole new audience right now. And for the old timers that didn't have it back in the day, they got a chance to buy it again.
3: Uh, that, that kind of like... Blows my mind. I'm I'm really I'm impressed by that. You know, uh, the the funny thing when I'm talking to Jeremy, like a lot of these other bands that he re-releases, uh, I had never heard of them back in the day. I unless unless you were a known band or you know, we found out about bands through like the fanzines, like like even like uh, yes. years before a couple years before, Attila, like I was telling you, like Venom, uh, you know those kind of Raven, uh, the you know the Rods. We you know we go to like a record store in, in Brooklyn called uh, Zigzag. And, and get like the latest exactly. single from like from like Angel Witch or something, you know. And it was a big deal because it was like you know there was like a mystery about it, you know. But I, and I'm sure tons of bands put out records, but a lot of bands put out these records on their own, and and it never reached anybody, you know what I mean? It reached their, their neighborhood, you know what I mean? Whereas yeah, you know yeah. us and, and other bands as well were on at least independent labels, and it got you know it got out to other people. I had gotten fan letters from people in Colombia. Back in the day, you know, if if we would have put out a record on our own, we would have never reached South America,
1: you know.
3: True,
1: true. I, yeah, I know. So... But no, no, no. No, go ahead. No, was, no, no. Was, you were saying you're right. You, you would have never known, never gotten the record out that far if you try to do it on your own. Yeah. You know. So uh, and you know,
3: to to stroke my own ego here, uh, a, a lot of those bands are they were marginal. You know, there were a few, you could, you could find the bands here and there that, that had potential, or were going to do something. But a a lot of those bands were, you know, they were just like kind of generic, you know, that's my, my opinion.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of bands came out, they kind of did what other people were doing. They, They didn't offer anything. They were different. And it was just kind of there, you know, nothing special, and you know, most of them didn't go anywhere. That was the problem.
3: Well, we were playing, we were playing the, the bars on Long Island, like the place, the Starship, out by it was out by Port Jefferson somewhere, Seacock so somewhere, uh, you know, played Cheers in, in Deer Park, uh, you know, or wherever we were playing. Uh, we played with a lot of other local bands, and you know, these guys, everybody had the look, and you know, they all wear, they all excuse me, all wore, wore spandex. We all us, a wore leather. You know, we had we had custom made outfits. You know, we paid a lot of money for this stuff. Uh, and all these bands, they all wanted to be like Van Halen. We we wanted to be nothing like Van Halen. We, if anything, we wanted to look like Wasp. You know, so so right off the bat, we we kind of differed ourselves from these other bands. You know, and and those bands, the players in a lot of these bands were really good, but they were just like you know, it's a rehash of like you know what's on the Sunset Strip. I don't want to look like fucking. You know any of
1: those bands? I don't want to look like that. Well, and that's that's the way they were back then. Something caught, something was hot. They figured they would just mimic it, and it was lightly would strike twice. But for most <laughs> of them, it didn't. You know?
3: <laughs> no, man, that that doesn't work, man. From early, from early on, honestly, I think this is my my thought my thought process. When the era when the bands, when guys on Long Island and Tri-State area could like make a living, there were some great players, right? And they could play they could play songs from Zeppelin of freaking Boston, there were bands. There were bands that could play like freaking ELP and stuff. You know, some of these bands. I, I I didn't have that ability. I could never play like that. You know, I, I'll be the first to tell you that. You know, so I said even if I could learn like you know all these songs by like you know Zeppelin and whatnot, it's not gonna do nothing for me. I'm never gonna you know. I so I I figured out early on I gotta write my own stuff because that's the stuff that's gonna get me out of here. You know, I'm not gonna play in a cover band forever. You know,
1: and I, I think I went the right way with that. You know, at least I did something I think right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, John, I have to let you go in about a minute because i got another guest okay, waiting in the wings cool. i got to that's get cool. on. I want to play some songs. but Man, I had a great time talking with you. Anytime I get to talk to a fellow New Yorker, it's, I know you're in Pennsylvania right now, but you're still New York. You'll always be New York. You can't get that out of you. I hope I, hope I didn't talk your ear off. Not at all. We didn't talk enough. I wish I didn't have any other guests on the show tonight. I keep talking, to We ran out of time. Unfortunately, I booked two guests how, tonight. How, so long, I how, to how long is your show? It's about three hours, but we usually wrap up in two because I run out of steam by the third hour.
3: Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> we're on the air until 8 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, we're off the air, so we only got about 45 minutes left to get the other guests on. Okay, okay. But we will do this again, I hope. Uh, you know, we, will. we will, we will. I, I We're going to do band together, and we'll do this all over again, and we'll, we'll pick up where we left off.
3: I'll I'll see what I can do, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: You too, John. You take care. Bro. I'm going to get on some Attila right. music right now for everybody. Take care, okay, my Thanks, friends. man. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, I love having New Yorkers on the show, you know what I mean? Especially guys that come from my area. It's always a good time. All right, let's get to some Attila right now. Let me see. How about we do? Uh, let's start with Defcom One. It's a little quickie. Maybe I won't even play that one because you know what? You got to follow up with the second song. And with CDs today, you got to click once, click twice. It's not like it used to be in the old days where they just followed each other on record. All right, let's do Lucifer's Hammer first. <laughs> Attila with Trice. It was good talking with John. I hope Heaven Held can release those albums and those songs. It would be great to hear them out there again, especially the newer ones. Looking forward to it. All right, we're going to get to John Schaefer from Demons and Wizards at Ice Earth. In a few minutes. Something I talk about, I think 47 out of 52 weeks we're on the air, is I want to see a Merciful Fate reunion. Well, last week, you know, I was all, we were off last week, so we didn't get to talk about it, but it was finally announced. I guess if that's what you want to call it. Listen, there's no bigger Merciful Fate fan in the world than myself. I mean, if you listen to the show, you know that. I love these guys. But just having King Diamond and Hank Sherman, to me, that's not a Merciful Fate reunion. I know the labeling that is the nine... You know the the album nine uh, reunion of Merciful Fate, but it's not. I've been talking about this for years. All the original guys are still together. They're still alive. I know Timmy's been fighting cancer for a while now. It was just announced to the press about a week ago when the when the fate announcement was released. But I've known about it for quite some time, as well as other people. Uh, they could have did it long before then. They didn't make it happen. They could have waited for him to get better, which he will. It just needs a little time to go through. You know, and, and recuperate. But you know, no Kim Ruz, no Michael Denner, no Timmy Grabber. that's not merciful fate to me I mean King Diamond If you see King Diamond live you know doing King Diamond he always throws in a couple of fate songs so what are you getting just Hank Sherman on guitar I mean, I'm glad that at least they made this step, but I wish they would have done the full thing and gotten that original lineup back together and went out there. And, and I know they're going to do the classic stuff, so they're not even going to do the stuff off the nine record or the later of Fate ever, which really most people don't even care about, to be honest with you. They're going to do stuff off the first couple of records, you know, the first three albums. So what would it have taken to sat down and get Michael Denner on board I mean, listen, you know, they're not going to sell out Madison Square Garden, Mercer or they're going to do a lot better than they did in the 90s, playing to 100 people in the club somewhere. They could have went out there. I mean, King Diamond, when he comes around, he's playing in like two, 3,000-seat places. I'm sure Fate could have did the same thing, if not a little better. So, hopefully, they will be. It, it kind of ruined it now for me because now that they announced it as a reunion and it's just a tour. And if they did get that classic lineup back together for a tour, it doesn't feel the same now, you know? <laughs> it's like if you're on the same movie, like when, you know, Jay Leno was going to get the host of Tonight Show and David Letterman won, and they told David Letterman, well, you know, they're offering you the Tonight Show now from Jay Leno. He goes, you know, you're not getting the Johnny Carson Tonight Show, you're getting the Jay Leno Tonight Show. You know, it's the same thing now with getting that fate reunion you know, of the classic lineup. You've already gotten the semi classic lineup, if you want to call it that, or the later lineup. I wish they could have made this happen with the five of them. I really do. It was something I was looking forward to for a very long time. And if we got it, we would have stuff like this. Much. off the front of the Razor record, Pain. Ian sent me over uh, some instrumental stuff that they were working on for the new record a while ago, maybe a year and a half or so ago. Uh, it sounded really good. Dan Doc hadn't added the vocals to them yet, uh, so I don't know what they sound like completed. But I'm going to reach out to one of them, see what's going on with that record. I really thought it would have been out by now. I'm um, hoping that nothing went wrong and it, it's still going to come out, because they were a great band and one of my all-time favorites. All right, let's get to John Schaefer from Ice Earth and I'll play some music by Demons and Wizards, and i start right after that, and then we're going to wrap it up here tonight. So bear with me here one second. Yeah, can you hear me, John? Yeah, I can. Okay, perfect. All this technology, I think it's easier with paper, cups, and a string.
0: Yeah, sometimes, dude, <laughs> definitely.
1: <laughs> hey, look, I'm really happy that, you know, you decided to make some time for Demons and Wizards. It's been about 15 years since the last record and never a tour in the U.S.,
0: that's true. That's right.
1: So how did this all come about? I, mean, I know Ice Star takes up a lot of your time. Hanser's got Blind Guardian going on. Was this enough breaking the schedule for the two of you to put this together?
0: Yeah, we, I mean, we've tried to get it going for about 10 years now. And uh, we actually started working on songs. Uh, it been three years or a little more now. Um, we had three different pieces of music going and it just, you know, I got busy with an incorruptible album cycle and it's just been one of those situations where we've had a hell of a time to try to get our schedules to line up to where we could really do it and focus on it. And, um, you know, even though Hansi's been um, getting, you know, he's getting ready to, they're putting out the, the classical record. So he's in the final stages of, of that. Uh, putting the music and the arrangements together and stuff i also i have to have that time to do that and it's i've been uh, pretty consumed with ice for the last several years and um but a- after the incorruptible album cycle that was that was my plan um really at the beginning of that of that cycle once we once we got the, the record recorded and we were putting together the touring schedule that's when i talked to hansi and said okay here's
1: you said you started working on a lot of these songs a few years ago but being such a big gap in between and i know this isn't your main bread and butter does it kind of throw you off like writing wise like trying to keep it in the vein of what demons and wizards are or does it does it really matter i mean whatever you feel like you're going to write for this band is what you're going to write
0: well that's i think that's the way we both approach it in our bands too and it's it is it's really not i mean demons and wizards is it's homie and i and that's that's it like there's no so whatever music as long as it's honest and coming from a genuine place it's going to feel different it's going to have growth it's going to have changes but it's still going to be very obviously us people there is no there will be no question about that so in in a sense it doesn't really matter because the i approach the same the music the same way that i do ice earth or anything i'm involved in it's genuine i don't have to be concerned about sounding a certain way and it's, it's only three songs that were written a couple years ago. I mean, we've got 11 on this new record, and all of that stuff was really focused. Um, I started working on it late last year, and then we got really uh, serious about it early this year and did all of the master tracking on drums and, and guitars and bass and lead guitars and all the MIDI stuff that I did. All that was done in, like, uh, March, actually. So now we're focusing on vocals in between the holes of the schedule. Hans has been working on that, and we've got... A- we're going to go to the stage and tour there and we'll have a few songs left to sing. And then we have to mix. So we're getting, we're getting close.
1: That's going to be great. I mean, as far as like a songwriting, songwriting goes, are you the kind of person that likes to work under pressure and like, you know, here's what I have to do and then get in there and knock it out. One, two, three, or you prefer, or is time an enemy to you? Do you prefer to stretch things out and take your time to make it the way you want? I mean, all these years in the business, I mean, things change from the first song you wrote to today.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, I've been in this situation before and I, I've, I will never do it again where, you know, you, like in between um, Dystopia and Plagues of Babylon, we have this window and we were still doing festivals and it was like, okay, you got to write and record a record here because there was one two, world tour had ended and then another one was already booked and we had, you know, it was a crazy, crazy period. About three years, we did like 350 shows and two studio albums and a live DVD. And so, in that, you're very much forced by the calendar to get something done. I, having said that, I work very well under pressure, but I will not do it like that. You know, that's that's different than being under pressure. That's like, you know, planning. Uh, a year and a half in advance that you're going to be in in the studio on this date. And then, you know, if you do that kind of a world tour and immediately have to go into songwriting after you're, you're already starting the situation pretty exhausted. So I've, you know, I've learned, but that if I'm inspired, man, I can work really well under pressure. So, but, but for me, it is about going in and focusing. I don't like to be bothered. I don't like to deal with, uh, I don't like to try to, to be creative and then be, on tour at the same time—that's a completely different headspace of, for me personally. So when I'm writing musical arrangements and compositions, I really want to be unplugged from everybody. I, I tell management and everybody just to leave me alone, and I go into the studio and start working out arrangements and everything. And and uh, that's that's really the way it all starts, whether it's Istarth or Demons or whatever. So
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you've always been consistent with your releases. I mean, you know, I start every couple years, there's an album, there's the other projects that you work on that put stuff out. I mean, it's great to be busy in this business, but you know, the 90s were a rough time, the tide turned on metal, you know, early on. I mean, do you worry about things changing, like in the future, where you got to say to yourself, you know, what's here today might not be here tomorrow, so I got to kind of focus on it right now, or you just go along for the ride these days and just enjoy what's out there?
0: I'm not along for any ride. It's a ride that I created and sacrificed the fuck of a lot to get it to where it's last 30 years. So, you know, it has nothing to do with like luck and kicking back and going with the ride. It's about making it happen. I made the journey happen when I was left at home as a teenager. So there's nothing really relaxed about it. But I also have no fear about where the business is headed or the trends are headed or whatever, because I don't give a fuck. Just I just don't care. I mean, I, we have such a diehard loyal fan base Yeah. that all these years, because the music comes from such a true place that, you know, it, it just doesn't actually, I don't care about everything else that's going on. We've been successful through every transition, every lineup, every album since the beginning. Has it grown in different territories? I mean, yeah, you know, think about it, man. The technology, when our first albums came out, there, there was no distribution in the States to speak of at all on the first two records. And then it started to get a little big, bigger then the band started touring more and then you know, by the later nineties, we were doing stuff in North America, which wasn't even an option early in the days. And now it's global. You know, I mean, it's just, it just continually grows. The awareness grows because of the technology. And that's just the way it is. So, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I don't really concern myself with uh, any of that stuff because I know that I, know, I understand the relationship between, if we're talking about Ice Earth, I know, understand the relationship between our fans and, and the music because I talk to them and how loyal they are. So I, I don't really, I feel, if, if I feel like I'm doing something dishonest or that's not um, true, then I'd have something to worry about. You know, if, if I was just, like, going through some kind of cookie-cutter motion or not really putting my whole heart into it, and that's usually, you know, there's been various times in my career where I haven't been able to focus due to, due to personal stuff going on in my world and, whatever. you know, there's been a couple of those records, and those were the ones that actually didn't perform as well, but they still performed really well, you know? So you can't you can't have a career. We, I started to 12 studio albums, man. I mean, you can't. It's, it's, it's years, you know, so... You're gonna have periods, you're gonna have bumps in the road along the way when you have a career like that. Everybody has. Everybody.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, I interview a lot of bands and you ask them like what happened with this or what happened with that? Like well, it was bad management, it was bad this, it was bad that. But it seems like, you know, no matter what stage of the game you're at, if you don't make it happen, like you just said for yourself, you're not the one guarding that ship and involved in every step of the way, so who do you have to blame then?
0: Well that's true. And it's and you know, like I've had those issues before. I've also had issues where you know, in one year, I, I had three family members die. And my brother, sister, and a father. And I was in the middle of writing the, the big Framing Armageddon and Crucible of Man records. And it was a fucking nightmare to try to focus on the work with all of that, especially, you know, by the time that my sister died. So it was just a, a really, you know, it, you go through those challenges, man. There's, I, there's, I've gone through a record before. I was... I made a record while I was going through a divorce. There's times in your career where life is just happening and you have this organization of people around you that rely on you, your bandmates, your crew, your you know everybody and you start setting things up in a in a period of time ahead and then just things go sideways in your life or you have a bad business decision or whatever that has been made by you or on your behalf you learn from all of it and it's all part of of the journey, but you're the true metal of a person is what they can withstand, you know? I mean, if you fall apart at the first sign of trouble or conflict, then you're not made for this business anyway because it eats you up.
1: That's the truth. Because I go back with you for the purgatory days, like traded a demo tape, I got the Burn the Wasteless demo. So one thing I've always considered you to be is a storyteller. You know, when you write songs, I feel like I'm hearing the story musically, and it goes throughout your albums. Is that something that you always felt was important, like to tell a story through your music?
0: Yeah, I did, but I mean that's really cool that you go that far back, man. But I, I honestly, back when those songs were being written, I mean I was a, I was a teenage kid in a very, if I look at my old the lyrics back in those days, they were pretty juvenile. But yes, I was trying to tell a story. You know, some of them were obviously some of them were better than others, but some of the stuff that you you're talking about there, I literally wrote when I was 15 years old, 16 years, old, you know, and so. Depending on which stuff, but if you're talking about the Burning Oasis demo, I mean, Gene, Gene wrote some lyrics on that, too, and I wrote some. I mean, it's, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's the writings of very young guys. <laughs> well, oh, it was, oh, but, oh, yeah. You know, it's just a
1: different thing. Well, that, Deb, I'm i talking about everything. I mean, from the glorious burden to something wickedness this way it comes, you know, framing Armageddon. You know, it's like your whole career. I feel like I'm, I'm like listening to a novel, you know, musically. And that's something I love because it draws me in as a listener and as a fan.
0: Oh, that's killer, man. Well, it is a, uh, it is a thing that you try to do depending, you know, it can be a collection of individual stories like with horror show. I mean, it was a theme record, not a concept album, but it had the theme was horror movies for the most part, except for ghost of freedom. But that, you know, and then the glorious burden was the same. It wasn't one continual story. It was like a, a, based on a bunch of different battles and periods of history. And, uh, and then, you know, you have something like, uh, uh, well, you know, Framing Armageddon and Crucible of Man are full stories. Storm Riders a full story. Dark Sock is a full story. So it's been different throughout the years, you know. So Getting Corruptible was just a collection of songs. None of those were related to each other, but they all do tell a story. True. So,
1: I mean, over the years, whether it's when I started, the Demons of Wizards, you've worked with some amazing singers. You know, some you've handpicked, some who came along. I mean, what is it about Hansi that working with him really like? You know, gets you going. I mean, do you feel like with different singers? You could experiment more, like, try different things because of the vocal range of what they're able to do?
0: Um, I mean, well, the the thing is with Hansi and I, all this started as just, we were great friends for years before we even had a clue that we could write songs together. So that's that's really the nature of how the whole thing started. And if you, when I look back at that, like, we were, it was 1991 was our first tour together, and we, both bands we lived on a bus together we went through a lot of shit together a bus breaking down you know some stuff that was not very comfortable but it's it's stuff that you could tell very early on that both of our bands were very serious about what we're doing and we're going to soldier through whatever it takes and but then we just had this chemistry and this camaraderie with each other that was I've never seen it since you know it's a that's a really cool thing. So you fast forward then to like six years or something like that, when Hansi and I kind of accidentally discovered that we could write some stuff together, and then it took even a little longer before we committed to making, you know, making it into a project, and and we just realized we had this cool chemistry. And honestly, I mean, we we didn't know what to expect. It wasn't. It just, it was just, we did it for fun. You know, there was no, like, we had no pressure. Obviously, it's been 15 years since our last record. So we don't really, we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. And what we do is just that it comes out in a very natural way. And clearly, after all these years, the people feel that. I mean, that's the, the thing that's really cool, Demons. And we knew it after the first album, because we both kept getting asked about it in interviews. And then we did the second album. In 2005, I guess, it came out. And that, you know, that one also was like, uh, it was the same thing for years after. All the way up until very recently, I would get asked, and so would Hansi in every interview, when's the next Demon's album, when's the next one? So whatever we did together, clearly it struck a chord. I mean, we we decided we were going to do this. We decided we got to do some shows and warm the band up and get get things moving again and uh put the word out within three days we had secured a headline spot at the Bakken Open Air Festival and we didn't even have a fucking Facebook page then so I mean quickly the the uh desire for something like that has been bubbling for a really long time and we feel blessed by that but the way I work with the singers and Ice Earth is radically different than what I what I've done with Hansi because what creates the cool monster that him and I create together is to, I do the musical compositions, the arrangements, and then he does the the uh, the vocal melodies. And that he has a very different way of writing vocal parts than I do or any of the guys that I've worked with in the past. It's a whole, it's a whole different animal. That's what makes it unique. You know, if I was to start. Um, really conducting what's happening in the vocal melodies and the cadences and, and even, you know, I mean, I do contribute lyrics and I have even contributed some melodic ideas with demons, but it's the majority of that part of it is him. That's what brings us together and creates this thing where people can hear for sure the elements of Ice Earth and the elements of Blind Guardia, but it but it creates something new. You know, it's a new, it's a new monster. And so that's, I've always like been you just run with it dude you know I, I'll come up with badass arrangements that I feel like can if they if they give me goosebumps without vocals then when Hopney gets a hold of it it's only going to get better and that's that's what we that's the way we work so um so it's very different but I have worked with some amazing singers sure and everybody has their strengths and weaknesses some guys are uh, very good lyrics some guys have been but can are like a workhorse in the studio where you can do anything you want and it's maybe not come up with the greatest melodies but good lyrics or whatever and you know i mean i i'm fortunate that i can kind of do all that and if i have um somebody in the in the studio that has a a a big ability you know physical vocal ability then it's like you know from a production standpoint i'm like it's like a, a kid in a candy store you know, because you, you can just go in there. The majority of the guys I've worked with have been able to do that, mm-hmm. especially when we talk about, you know, like we talk about Matt and Stu and, and Hansi. You know, they're they're awesome.
1: That they are. Hey, John, I'm not going to keep you because I know you got one to do after the other today. You've got to this for a long time. But uh, I can't wait to see you guys live. I'll catch you in New York when you get to my hometown in September. First time seeing Demons and Wizards. I've seen you on stage a hundred times over the last 30 years, but I can't wait to see you up there with Hans, and it's going to be special.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, it's a good lineup. We're getting great reactions, and everybody's uh, everybody's having a lot of fun. So it's good stuff.
1: Absolutely, John. The best of luck. Enjoy the tour. I know you hit the road in a couple of weeks, man. Be safe out there and have a good time.
0: Okay, man. You take care, Mike.
1: Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. I want to thank our guests tonight John DeLeon of Attila and John Shafer from Demons and Wizards and Ice Earth we had a great time talking with everybody tonight we're going to wrap it up play one more song by Ice Earth and call it a day we will be back next Sunday night I haven't really officially lined up all the guests but I know we have two on next week I'll take care of that this week and I'll let you know who it is but until then have a great week everybody thanks for being a part of tonight's show here you go Ice Earth pure evil good night everybody <laughs>